This is the Transcend Human Podcast, a weekly show where we learn what it means to rise above the human condition. We hope the conversation today is just what you need for the week ahead. Yes, friends, welcome back to the Transcend Human Podcast. Great to be with you. November 20, 2023. Welcome back. So interesting that we are back just seven days after our last episode. That hasn't happened in a while. Uh, This podcast used to be a weekly podcast. Pretty much you can count on it. Um, And then we got into our end of time series and that really pushed things back. It ended up being, you know, two, sometimes three weeks in between episodes. And then once we ended that series, it was just really hard to get back into the weekly routine. Um, And so we've been, you know, we've been putting out episodes every two to three weeks, let's just say. Uh, But here we are. Last week we did one. This week we're doing one. And we'll just, we'll just see where that takes us. Definitely not going to become a habit, most likely, but but interesting that we are here just seven days after our last episode. So yeah, um, I've been just spending most of my time getting back to a sense of normalcy. Uh, You know, we talked a little bit last week about our trip to New York. I think New York City will just do that to you. If you're there for more than two or three days in a row, your body just gets into a whole different rhythm. Not only the the time zone thing, you know, that, that is what it is. But just the speed of life and the uh, just the constant go go go, and you're walking everywhere, and you're you know you're timing your trip out for the subway and and all of those things. Uh, some people just eat that stuff up; they just love it. Uh, me, not so much. Like like I said last week, uh, it it took some time to get used to, and it's just life at a whole different standard of living or, or pace of living, right? So anyways, that's what I've been doing. I've been slowly sliding back into my weekly rhythms, picking up kind of where, uh, where I left off. And then, you know, we've got this other big thing coming up on the horizon, which is Thanksgiving. So that actually leads right into my minute of transparency. Uh, I'm going to call it this week, the forgotten holiday. So to me, Thanksgiving should really be called the forgotten holiday. Why? Well, these days we put out our Halloween stuff in September. (laughs) At least a lot of people do. September, early October. Then the minute it hits November 1st, all of a sudden everything changes over to Christmas. Definitely in the stores. Not always in your neighborhood. There are still some people who refuse to put out the Christmas stuff until after Thanksgiving. But I feel like that number is getting smaller and smaller. So like I said... Thanksgiving to me has become a forgotten holiday. Now, of course, we still celebrate it. I mean, who doesn't like to have another day off of work, right? In this case, two days off of work. But at the end of the day, it's just a big meal and some football. And family, of course. Now, this is just my perspective, and I'm sure that it varies based on your family. So some families have all the relatives over, which makes for a much bigger deal, right? All that planning, who can sit by whom without the sparks flying, who brings what part of the meal, wondering which of the uncles is going to get so drunk this year that they say something that pisses off the entire family. Basically the movie Christmas Vacation, only the turkey version, 
of that movie. Now, I know that's a stereotype for sure. And hopefully it's not what you're looking forward to this year in your house. For us, it's become less about having to be around difficult family members and more about not getting to be around family. Since we moved to California, the big old Turkey Day Thanksgiving party celebration get together just really hasn't happened. Luckily, there were a few years in there where we got to hang out with Uncle Dan and Aunt Patty, uh, who lived in Marietta, not too far from us. Uh, But then at some point they moved up north and we haven't been able to do that. Then there was the year that we traveled to Salt Lake City uh, to spend the week there with Tammy's aunt and grandma. But for the most part, uh, the last few years, it's just been us and the people that we invite to hang out with us. So for the last couple of years, it's been a mother and her two daughters uh, that we helped out through the Safe Families program, uh, a small family just kind of struggling to make make ends meet here in Southern California. And then there's a girl who used to live with us for a while when her parents kicked her out of her house um, during her senior year of high school. Uh, She came over last year. So it's been a pretty small group recently and an eclectic one, to be sure, given the vastly different lifestyles represented around our table. But at the end of the day, isn't that Thanksgiving in a nutshell? Groups of people with little in common coming together and sharing a meal out of an abundance of thankfulness? Maybe, if we believe what we were taught as children. But I think most of us now have come to understand that it probably didn't go down the way that we were taught. In fact, the history records that there were many meals shared between settlers and Indians, but that there was this underlying tension that never fully went away. Why? Well, it could have something to do with the fact that the settlers arrived to colonize the land, and as more and more came over, more land was taken. And this eventually led to battles for the land, battles where the Indians were basically exterminated to make way for the new expansion of the colonists. Now, in 1970, the National Day of Mourning was established, and to this day, on the National Day of Mourning, Native Americans gather in Plymouth, Massachusetts to remember the millions of their ancestors who were killed during that time. I know, nothing like the fun stories we taught our kids, right? How the Puritans and the Indians sat down together and shared this amazing turkey and mashed potato and pumpkin pie dinner, set aside their issues, and lived happily ever after. Unfortunately, just a small piece of the whitewashing that we've done to our history to make us feel better about ourselves and the way that we've treated people in the past. But despite all that, we can still celebrate Thanksgiving. We just need to make it less about history and more about the present. Spending time with the family, if you're able to. Inviting people over, even if they are vastly different from you. Sharing in the blessings that we've all been given. And being thankful for what we have, even if it's just for another day of life. So there you go. Not that Thanksgiving has anything to do with our topic today, though I might try to stretch it at some point in order to connect the two topics. But let's dive in. Today's topic, Transcending God's Image. Chapter 1, The Three O's. Chapter 2, It's in Our DNA. And Chapter 3, Returning Home. Chapter 1, The Three O's. So one of the things that Christians throw around all the time is this idea that we were made in God's image. 
that when he was creating us, he decided that we needed to resemble him or them in some form or fashion. Now, I say he when referring to God, but maybe it should be they, right? If you believe that God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit all had something to do with our existence. At any rate, we were created, and the Bible describes it like this in Genesis 1, 26-28. Then God said, Let us make human beings in our image, to be like us. They will reign over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, the livestock, all the wild animals on earth, and the small animals that scurry along the ground. So God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female, he created them. Then God blessed them and said, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and govern it. Reign over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, and all the animals that scurry along the ground. Great, good to know. But what does that actually mean? If we were made to look like God, act like God, or in some way be like God, what does that even mean? In the verse we just read, two things stood out to me. First, when it said, in our image, to be like us. And second was the part where it said, in the image of God, he created them, male and female, he created them. So based on the first phrase, It sounds like we were created to be like God in some way. And the second part suggests that our concept of male and female somehow resembles God. Now, for the purposes of this episode, uh, we're going to spend time unpacking the first part, not necessarily the second, though you could probably do multiple episodes on what it means for our gender to reflect God. Uh, Given our fascination with gender today and gender fluidity, it seems like this would be a very fascinating study that could help alleviate some of the polarization that we see around this topic. But for today, let's stick with the first part, being created in the image of God and what it means to be like him or them, as the case may be. And in order to do this, it might be good to start with the things that we don't have in common, not just today given the human condition and the sin virus and the way that that separates us from divinity. But even at the beginning, before the sin virus, there has and always will be a difference between the creator and the creation, between God and the things that they created. So let's start there with the things that God is that we will never be. And we can refer to these as the three O's. Omnipotent, omnipresent, and omniscient. So let's define those just briefly. Omnipotent. The word omnipotent comes from omni, meaning all, and potent, meaning power. As with the attributes of omniscience and omnipresence, it follows that if God is infinite and he is sovereign, which we know that he is, then he must also be omnipotent, having all the power over all the things at all times and in all ways. Next, omnipresent. The prefix omni originates in Latin and means all. So to say that God is omnipresent is to say that God is present everywhere. In many religions, God is regarded as omnipresent, whereas in both Judaism and Christianity, the view is further subdivided into the transcendence and imminence of God. Although God is not totally immersed in the fabric of creation, the way a pantheist believes, 
He is present everywhere at all times. And finally, we have omniscient. So omniscience is defined as the state of having total knowledge, the quality of knowing everything. So for God to be sovereign over his creation, over the creation of all things, whether visible or invisible, he has to be all-knowing. His omniscience is not restricted to any one person in the Godhead. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are all by nature omniscient. So there you go. Three of the many attributes of God, the idea that he or they are omnipotent, omnipresent, and omniscient. Now, there are many others. Um, Two important ones that were mentioned in the definitions above are infinite and sovereign. So if God is infinite, it means that he is limitless, measureless, boundless. Divine infinity indicates that the limitations of finite creatures do not apply to him. Whatever God is, love, faithfulness, righteousness, wise, etc., he is without limit. And whatever he is cannot be measured. He is not bound or restricted by space, time, or matter. God has never or has neither a measurable beginning nor a measurable end. He fills eternity from everlasting to everlasting. Such truth is incomprehensible, another one of his attributes, to our finite minds. And next we have sovereign, so infinite and sovereign. Uh, Sovereign describes freedom from external control or of other controlling influences. So God is the ultimate authority in every sphere and every place. It follows that all creation is subject to him and that all creation is answerable to him. As an aside, what verb do you see in the word sovereign? Reign, of course. And this verb captures the essence of this divine attribute, God's ability to reign over all things. Now, these aren't the only attributes of God. I linked to an article with 25 of them. Uh, and, and these descriptions about infinite, sovereign, omnipotent, omnipresent, and omniscient all come from that article. Um, but these are some of the big ones and the attributes that make them God and us not so much. So in my estimation, when it says that God created us in his image, this is not what he was talking about. This is not what they were referring to because we will never be infinite, sovereign, omnipotent, omnipresent, or omniscient. Not today, not ever, not even in our perfect resurrected bodies when Jesus returns to earth to make everything right. Chapter two, it's in our DNA. So if we will never be these things, then what are we talking about when it comes to being created in the image of God? Well, when I look through the list of attributes in the article, there are actually some that we seem capable of, maybe not to the level that God expresses them, but still something that we can work toward and emulate. So here, here's the full list of attributes uh, that this article um, talks about. I'll just read through them really fast. Eternal, faithfulness, foreknows, good, holy, immutable, impartial, incomprehensible, infinite, jealous, justice, long-suffering, love, mercy, omnipotent, omnipresent, omniscient, righteous, self-existent, self-sufficient, sovereign, transcendent, truth, wise, and wrath. 
Now, just looking through that list, I've highlighted one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, nine of them that I think you could make a case for that we have the ability to show promise or show an image of what it is that God exudes when it comes to these attributes. So I'm going to walk through those one by one and just kind of give an explanation as to why I think that way with the first being faithfulness. So in the Bible, we are actually called to be faithful over and over again on some level. There must be something about faithfulness that we are capable of. Next is good. Not good the way God is good, but we definitely have the ability to make decisions based on whether it is good or bad, right? We can choose to do the right thing or the good thing in different situations. Next is the word impartial. Now this is really difficult at times, right? We have, but we have the ability to be impartial, to set aside our desires and our prejudices in order to view another person the way God views them as well. Next is justice. So we can stand up for people the way that God stood up for people, the way that Jesus did when he was on earth, speaking up for the poor, um, the picked on, those who are unable to stand up for themselves. Next, I could make the case for long-suffering, right? Have you ever made the decision to stay in a relationship with somebody who is really difficult to love? Now, I'm not talking about a love relationship like a marriage or something like that, but just a family member or a friend relationship where the person is really rough around the edges and it would be so much easier on you to just drop them like a hot rock, kick them to the curb. But choosing not to do this is displaying long-suffering, a long-suffering attitude toward people. It shows patience and the ability to be slow to anger. Next, you have love. If there is one thing we can't deny, it's that the Bible calls us to love. As Jesus loved us enough to die for us, so too we are to love others. Again, not always the easiest thing to do, but definitely possible. Next, we have mercy. Similar to love, the Bible calls us to have mercy on people the same way that Jesus took mercy on us and died for our sins. And finally, wise. Obviously not wise the way God is wise, but we're called to use our brains to learn, to seek wisdom, not just knowledge for knowledge's sake, but knowledge that informs our thinking and our behaving. That's true wisdom. Now that was a lot, but I would suggest that this author missed two pretty big ones major attributes of God that I feel like we're capable of displaying as well. Things that are just in our DNA. And when you, when you really boil it down and try to figure out why it's in our DNA, it could just be that it was because God made us in his image. Number one, communal or relational. So I see this in a variety of ways, but let's start with God. You can't look at God without seeing community and relationships, right? Starting with a Trinity. What is this whole thing with God, the father, God, the son, and God, the Holy spirit. The Bible describes this union as so close that the three are actually one. When we refer to God, we're actually referring to all three of them as one. Now, this isn't something that we can really grasp, right? I mean, people have ideas, people try to describe it, 
but I don't think that anyone fully grasps, grasps what it means for the Trinity to exist. It's something that we're going to have to wait and ask God himself at some point. But at some level, there is this understanding that there are three separate and unique beings, but that they are so close, we also refer to them as God. Next, God created other beings. Why? Probably because he's relational. He wants community. He wants to be in a group of beings and hang out and have a good time. Um, You know, think about the angels um, and think about other potential beings that he created, either in heaven or on other planets that we don't even know about. And finally, we see this in the life of Jesus on earth. He had family. He had close friends. He even chose 12 guys to hang out with for a really long time. Three years of his life he spent with these 12. So do we bear that image? Of course. Marriage is probably the closest thing we have to the Trinity, right? In fact, the Bible even refers to marriage as two becoming one. Sounds familiar, right? Next, we group ourselves up into families. We develop friendships. We join active communities like churches, clubs, sports teams. And we really work to grow relationships with the people that we care about. So to me, this has to be part of what it means to be made in the image of God. And the second one is creativity and innovation. There is the the coolest thing to me is how creative God is. Obviously, we call ourselves creationists, right? Because we believe in a God capable of creation or creating, creating something out of nothing. The book of Genesis explains that God spoke and things just came into being. So maybe this is another thing they decided to pass down to us. Maybe creativity was also part of the image of God. There's the obvious creative connection, right? God, through the close connection with the Trinity, created humans, and they gave humans the same ability. A man and a woman, through their close connection, can create a new life. But aside from that obvious one, think about all of the other things that we can create. Now, I know, I know, I know. Uh, We've all heard people say, I don't have a creative bone in my body. I'm not a creative person. I can't create things. And what they're typically talking about, or what they would really should say is, I'm not an artist. I can't draw. I can't paint. Or I'm not crafty. And they're probably right. Not everyone is a Picasso or a Michelangelo. But that doesn't mean that we're not creative. The act of arranging picture frames on a desk or on a wall is an act of creativity. Choosing to take an alternate route home from work is an act of creativity. Going into a specific sport is an act of creativity. Creating a playlist in Spotify is an act of creativity. Can you see it? Can you see it now? How many things we do in a day that require us to be creative, to think outside the box, to come up with a strategy and then act on it? To me, this might just be one of the coolest and most special ways that we assume the image of God. Yes, there's love and mercy and all those kinds of things. I get it. Very important. But take every other person on earth out of the equation. Just focus on yourself for a minute. And as an individual, creativity is a pretty big deal. It's a pretty cool thing. As a person, the freedom of choice that we were given allows us to make decisions, to do things. 
even things that aren't required for our survival. This is one of the main things that separates us from the animals, right? Animals are very reactive. We call their behaviors innate or hardwired. They respond to their environment typically out of a survival mindset. If they're feeling hungry, they look for food. If they're feeling threatened, they run or hide. But most animals don't sit down and decide to write music. A bird sings, but only because it was created to sing with a very specific song. A spider is very artistic in spinning a web, but only because it was created to do so. Now, there are also learned behaviors. I get it, right? There's things that animals can learn or pick up based on either reward or repetition. A dog can learn to roll over, which seems very creative, but it's a learned behavior to please the owner or to get a treat. But humans are very different. Obviously, we can teach ourselves things. We can learn new things and create new things regardless of the outcome. Take the podcast, for an example, the Transcend Human podcast. I taught myself all of the skills required to set up, record, maintain, and publish the podcast. I also pulled from years of educational, occupational, and experiential learnings in order to come up with the content for the podcast. And I've been doing it since 2020 with no real reward other than my own satisfaction of putting it out there. It doesn't make me any money. It hasn't brought me fame or recognition. It's simply something I do, a creative outlet. And that's just the tip of the iceberg. Think about all of the musicians, artists, engineers, stand-up comics, inventors, athletes, all of the people out there expressing different forms of creativity. Some make money off of it, but others don't. Chapter three, returning home. So we spent a lot of time talking about how different we are from God, right? The attributes that he has that we will never have. But we've also covered a few that we have in common, attributes of God that we have within ourselves, attributes that, in my estimation, make make up this thing we've referred to as the image of God. So if humans have these little reflections of God within them here on earth as part of the human condition where the sin virus runs very rampant, then what happens when the world ends and we're returned to the state of perfection that existed when we first were created? Well, I think we've already ruled some things out, right? When we enter heaven, we don't get the three O's for example. And it just makes sense that we aren't going to be infinite and we probably won't be sovereign, right? These are attributes of a being that has always been and always will be a being that has the power to create other living things and thus has a level of power and position that his creation just can't achieve. Just ask Satan how that works. He didn't want to believe that this was true, so he pushed back. He told God, you shouldn't be in charge. You shouldn't be the only one in charge. I mean, I deserve to have some of those attributes as well. But looking back, it seems kind of silly, right? Satan was a created being. Therefore, he had a start date, which is something that God doesn't have. God has always existed. How on earth does it make sense for a lesser being to be as great as the one who created him or her. And yet, don't we do this all the time here on earth? Many of us choose to believe that there is no God. And even those who do believe often put him in a tiny little box. 
Then we go out and we live our lives as if we're in full control. We get a career, we make a bunch of money, and we start to act like we don't need God, that we have no needs whatsoever. We're the captains of our own ships. We don't need anything from anyone. But that's really the heart of what Satan believed at the very, very beginning. He didn't want there to be a being bigger than himself. He didn't want to answer to anyone. He didn't want to admit that there was someone he needed to look up to or worship because he was pretty full of himself. And better yet, he was learning what it might feel like to get other people to worship him. Think about how powerful that feeling is to receive worship from other people. It happens all the time. Think about athletes and how many people come to watch them. Think about politicians who set up press conferences so that they can throw out a few hot takes and get themselves back into the news cycle. Think about Taylor Swift and other musicians who look down from their stages and see hundreds of thousands of people crying and screaming their names. It's powerful, friends. Fame is a highly addictive drug. But back to the question that we started with. What will change when we get to heaven? Our minds, our bodies? Well, to wrap things up, let's look at two things. Let's look back to see what we were like before the sin virus. And then let's look forward, allowing the Bible to kind of describe what heaven will be like. So first, looking back. In Genesis, this is how our origin is described. It says that God created human beings in his image, male and female. They were commanded to multiply and fill the earth. We were commanded to reign over the lesser creation, like the animals in nature. Genesis doesn't really describe how the animals were created, other than God spoke it, and it happened. But with humans, in chapter 2, we're given the play-by-play. It says, Then the Lord God formed the man from the dust of the ground. He breathed the breath of life into the man's nostrils, and the man became a living being. Now, I often wondered if that's where the whole image of God thing came from. The fact that God didn't just command us to exist. He actually took time to form us. And then he breathed the breath of life directly into us. Next, it describes that they lived in an amazing garden, one that they watched over and tended. And we're told that they enjoyed food and that the garden was full of fruits and other growing things that they subsisted on. We're told that Adam and Eve were both created by God and that the union was thus created. The relationship that they had was perfect. And it explains that they were naked, but that they weren't ashamed until the fall, of course, when Adam and Eve both ate the fruit from a forbidden tree. That's when they recognized that they were naked and that they needed something to cover themselves. We also learn that God walked with his created beings in the garden. Chapter 3 says that when Adam and Eve heard God walking through the garden, they ran and hid themselves. And finally, we finish up the story by learning that God created the clothing for them to wear. And then they were banished from the Garden of Eden, mainly because there was a tree inside called the Tree of Life, which would sustain them and keep them alive and, and free from the effects of the sin virus. Okay, next, let's look ahead. So one of the things that we can do is infer that some of the things we understand about the life we had in the Garden of Eden will most likely be true of life in heaven. 
So things like having perfect bodies that don't require clothes or being clothed in a new type of clothing that we don't even understand, eating amazing foods that probably don't have an impact on what we look like or how much we weigh, uh, we will once again be able to walk and talk with God to be in his presence, uh, will be immortal. So the ability to live forever with God and not fear that there's an ending somewhere like death. With the sin virus gone, we no longer experience things like temptation, stress, anxiety, worry, fear, sadness, pain, loss, or depression. So if we get to heaven and we don't become infinite, sovereign, omnipotent, omnipresent, or omniscient, then what do we get? Well, the assumption is that we get all of the things that we just talked about, which is a pretty big deal, but also more of the things that we share in common with God. Things like love, mercy, long-suffering, faithfulness, wisdom. If these are things that we share with God now, part of the image that he created us to be, in heaven, these things that we struggle with might become easy, right? They might become 100% and help make us whole or complete in some way. If we struggled to love others here on earth, in heaven, we're probably flooded with love, right? We get all 100% of it, like drinking from a fire hose. And the wisdom that we sought through school and reading and talking with others, suddenly we're connected to the source and God allows us to use 100% of our brain capacity as if our minds have become Google running 10th generation AI or something. Basically like having all available knowledge at our fingertips in the blink of an eye or a thought or possibly things we don't understand, we are just able to ask God and God will immediately answer us with the truth. However it works, I believe that we'll have full access to all knowledge. But let's wrap things up with community and creativity because those are the elements that really made me want to do this episode in the first place. I just can't get past this idea that God is relational and he's creative. And when he created us in his image, I believe that he made sure that those two things would be part of that image. The Bible explains that in heaven, we will recognize people and we will be able to grow together. It says that we will all come together to worship God as a group or as a community. But imagine the community that it'll be where every individual can know each other and fully be known. No fear, no anxiety, no embarrassment, no feeling self-conscious based on your socioeconomic status or your looks or your talent. Everyone is equal and everyone has the same disposition to love each other and be together. The Bible also includes a few references about creativity. Uh, here are just four of them. Exodus 35, it says, and he is he has filled him with the spirit of God, with wisdom and understanding, with knowledge and with all kinds of skills to make artistic designs for work in gold, silver, and bronze. Again, in Exodus 35, he has filled them with skill to do all kinds of work as engravers, designers, embroiderers in blue, purple and scarlet, yarn and fine linen and weavers, all of them skilled workers and designers. In Psalms 139, and he has filled him with the spirit of God, with wisdom, with understanding, with knowledge, and all kinds of skills to make artistic designs for work in gold, silver, and bronze, to cut and set stones, to work in wood, 
and to engage in all kinds of artistic crafts. And finally, in Ephesians, for we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Now, these are the ways that we are creative on earth. I have no idea how our creativity will be expressed in heaven, but I can't wait to find out. Maybe we'll be able to create our own spaces, our own houses from perfectly shaped stones and gems and precious metals. Maybe we'll have the ability to tend gardens or create our own unique landscaping around our homes. Maybe we'll be able to communicate with the animals or travel to places that we find fascinating. Uh, For many of us, we probably grew up with the idea that we would be able to somehow fly or possibly transport ourselves in heaven, right? But who knows? But what I do know is whatever it will be, it will be far better than our minds can even imagine. All we can imagine are the things that we've seen, the best of the things on this earth, through the filter of the sin virus. But there is so much that we can't see, so much that exists outside of this earthly experience, and I can't wait to see it and experience it all. Okay, let's land the plane. Friends, it's been great being with you for yet another episode. I hope this was an inspiring one in a number of ways. First, to recognize the fact that you were created in the image of a kind and loving God. Second, to recognize that you are able to live in that image right here and now by leaning into those things like loving others, showing mercy, building relationships, and expressing your creativity. And finally, to look into the future and realize how amazing eternal life will be, to experience our true potential and fully reflect the image of God the way he intended it to be. I pray that you not only see that image in yourself today, but that you have the strength to lean into it and to shine the light that only you can shine in this dimly lit world. Have a great week, everyone. And as always, keep transcending human. Transcending human.